Brought to you by the WZIP Sports Team, this is Sports Power Talk Overtime. Featuring in-depth interviews. I didn't really plan to ask this, but since you brought it up, what's it like kind of having like your own meme? Like, how does that make you feel? <laughs> Exclusive original content. He crosses paths with another best in the world. Oh, that gets you excited, don't it? Oh, that gets me excited. And of course, the hottest takes. My dad used to have this saying, if you don't like the series, you don't like football. Over well, I say I'm a pretty big football fan, and I despise the <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> so get ready, because it's time for SPT Overtime. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Sports Power Talk Overtime. I'm your host, Logan Congrove, and joining me today for a special edition of SPT Overtime, a three-parter for our day in the life of a D3 athlete, is my good friend, Chris Miller from Hiram College. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Logan. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Chris. Chris, we have a lot of things on the agenda to talk about today, but I wanted to start a little bit about you. Talk about your background. What got you into the game of football? So my story is kind of interesting. It's a little different than most people because um, all my friends growing up, they were allowed to play football early on with Pee Wee, and they were having a really good time. And I always ask my parents, I'm like, can I play football? Can I play <laughs> with the big guys? And they're like, well, it's really dangerous, and they didn't want to risk anything. So I reverted to other sports like soccer and basketball um, and just some sports that are not as highly contact. Um, so once I got older, I got into high school and I still played basketball and soccer and those were my two main sports. But finally my parents like gave in because my junior year of high school, uh, the football team needed a kicker so they went to the soccer team and they asked our coach, they were like, who do you think like your strongest kicker is or your kicker or your soccer player that would be interested And my coach recommended me and it just grew from there. That's awesome, Chris. So as you mentioned, you were a three-sport athlete in high school. Chris, you played soccer, basketball, and football. Talk about how was it managing your time with all the sports that you competed in? Um, it was a little difficult at times because um, going into high school, playing soccer and basketball, those are two different seasons. Um, so it was easy to balance practice and homework for the most part. But what really gave me the largest challenge is when I started playing soccer and football at the same time. Um, because you go to basically my schedule consists of just going to school like a typical student and then after school I'd have to go to practice um, from soccer from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. and then after that I'd have an additional practice that usually ran between uh, 5.30 to 6.30 um, just getting an hour of kicks in here and there um, but what was most interesting is I actually did not practice a lot during the regular season because we'd have games for soccer on Tuesdays and Thursdays, game days on Fridays and Saturdays. So my two biggest days for um, practice would be Monday and Wednesday, which made it kind of interesting because um, over the summer, um, that's when we kind of blow up our sports, get a lot of training in. Um, so the summers were actually tougher for me during the season because I had to put in so much more work and preparation, um, especially going into that junior year, my first year of being a kicker and trying out football. Um, it was a challenge because it was something I've never experienced before. Um, so I did play basketball and soccer. And I enjoyed those sports, but football was something brand new to me that I knew nothing about. So it was kind of starting from the ground up and learning as I went with it, um, and I fell in love instantly. That's awesome. When you joined the football team, who were some of your friends that you talked to that convinced you to make the decision to join? Well, this is kind of funny because all my years of playing basketball and soccer, I had a lot of friends that always said, hey, Chris, like, why don't you try out for the kicker <laughs> position for the football team? Just come play with us, see how you like it. And it was always a running joke growing up that I'd play 
football in high school or go on to play secondary sports in college. But um, someone that like really convinced me to go through with it was actually Carter Klein, um, who was one of my longtime friends growing up. We played basketball together, um, and he always wanted me to punt and kick. But then on the other side of that, Carter was like a wide receiver, tight end, um, but also Josh Andersey, uh, the quarterback at the time in our grade, he also thought it would be great because he used to punt for them and he didn't want to punt anymore, so he was trying <laughs> to look for someone to fill his spot. Um, so he assisted with me as well. And then what was most cool for me is like not only people from the football team and people that I also knew outside of football were assisting me and like kind of convincing me to play but also my own teammates on the soccer team were there for me to support me as well with the biggest one being my soccer coach because usually when you hear about an athlete that tells you hey I think because it's pretty common to find a soccer player that plays football and right. soccer in high school um, so when I went to him and approached him about the situation he, he completely supported me with it he actually told me stories of previous kick that he had on his team that also played soccer and he said it's it's possible you can do it but you got to put in a lot of work and I didn't know if I was quite ready for it but with the great supporting system that I had it made the transition extremely easy. Talk about the training process for soccer and football at the same time while you were at Stowe. Okay, so yeah, this kind of like starts with the summer because I didn't know really what to expect, but going into my junior year during the summer, I had a really tough schedule because I'd have to get up in the morning around 5.30 a.m. because we had football that ran from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. And then right after that <laughs> became soccer because you have to share the turf, so then soccer would take the field from <laughs> 9.30 to 12. And that was just half of my day. That was the morning. In the afternoon, that's when I had to do my basketball. So I did basketball <laughs> between 4 to 6 or 6 to 8 typically, um, some open gyms and stuff like that. So that was like Monday through Friday. And you're like, okay, at least we get the weekend to relax and, you know, have fun. Wrong. On the weekend, you also <laughs> have like tournament games for basketball, for soccer, uh, scrimmages for football. So it was like a full-time job plus working overtime because usually you work eight hours a day. But that was just basically like my morning. And then I had the <laughs> afternoon and the evening. Um, but, you know, it kept me out of trouble. It kept me motivated and it gave me a bigger purpose. Chris, I do not envy that training process or that schedule. However, it did work out for you as you did end up moving to the next level playing multi-sports, which is awesome. When you were looking into colleges, though, were you looking more at football or soccer if you had to make the choice? So this is also pretty funny um, for me because in high school, my most successful sport was soccer. Um, and I played that sport a little bit due to my brother because I always looked up to him growing up and wanted to be like my brother. Um, but... What happened was, like, I was doing really well in soccer, and my junior year of football, which was, like, my first year, um, it, it was kind of a struggle because I was trying to balance soccer and football and try to excel at both sports at the same time. Um, but soccer, I've been playing my whole life, so it was pretty easy transition into that. But for football, it was all new to me. I was still learning. Um, so I never really got any looks my junior year for football um, and not really for soccer until we made a really long run in the playoffs. But... Going into my senior year, I always wanted to play basketball in college, so I was really like focused on playing basketball, playing at the next level, so I didn't really explore my options when it came to football and soccer. Um, so my senior year, um, I didn't really get recruited for football or soccer uh, for the most part until it was like week eight, week nine, week 10 of both my football and soccer season. Um, I had a recruit from Hiram come out and his name's Mike Soltis. Um, he's a special teams coach, works with kickers, punters, and long snappers. Um, and 
what's crazy about this is like it's important to develop relationships with people because the only reason he came out to come see me is because one of his co-workers is the father of one of the players on the team, Vance and Bryce Shepard. Um, so he recommended uh, Mike Soltis from Hiram College come out to one of my games just to see what kind of talent I have to evaluate me. Um, so he didn't tell me on week eight, which was the first week he came. So he just wanted to evaluate my game, see if I was fit for the college life and see if I, you know, had the skills to make it to the next level. Um, and they didn't tell me much. But then Mr. Shepard texted me the next day and he said, the hiring recruit, I didn't want to scare you or make you nervous, but he came to your game yesterday and you played amazing and he's going to come back for the next couple of weeks. Um, he's planning to talk to you after one of the games. So I'm going to give you his number. Um, so right after that. Um, Mike Soltis called me and he said, hey, you had a really great game. I want to meet you after your next game, if we can meet under the field goal after the game, something like that. Um, so this was something that like made me really excited because this is like a dream come true. It wasn't in basketball, but this was something completely new to me that like I never experienced. Um, so I was really excited with that. And then with soccer, it's kind of different because I did really well my junior year and if I would have made like a highlight tape or posted things on Huddle and send it out to coaches, that's part of the process of getting recruited is like branding yourself and putting yourself out there um, and showing what you have to offer. But I knew like after high school soccer, being a goalie is really tough and it has a lot of wear and tear on your body. So I just knew soccer wasn't going to be a secondary sport for me. So I wanted to focus on basketball, but then football opened up. So then I had to make that decision. Um, I was invited to an Adidas showcase um, where they like showcased some of the best goalies in Ohio and it was an invitational so only so many goalies were invited to play in this training camp or this prospect camp um, but I knew for me soccer was not something I was looking into in my future when it came to college sports or even professional level um, so I actually gave up my invitation so they could invite someone who really wanted to play at the next level and it just so happens that my invitation went to the Kent goalkeeper, which was one of our rivals growing up, but we were always good friends because we talked before and after the game. Um, and then they like let him know that because I gave up my invitation, he got to go to this camp and now he's doing great, um, playing at the next level. Um, so he always thanks me from time to time, but I'm like, hey, this was your destiny. This was your path and I wanted what was best for you. So I'm just happy it all worked out. That's awesome. Very selfless of you, Chris. That's a cool opportunity to be able to give up something like that to help somebody else. So would you say you were more so looking at soccer between football and soccer at the time? Uh, yeah, well, it, it really depends because there were times where, like, I was just doing football to fill my spot, fill the position, and help the football team. Right. Like, that was, like, my role. Um, with soccer, I was really counted on, and people really, like, looked to me um, because I'm that goalkeeper, and goalkeeper keepers are like really important so when it came to soccer everybody was looking towards me for assistance for help um, just for me to be in the back so they have that support that they needed I, I was looking into soccer more than I was looking into football but other than getting invited to that prospect camp and my interests not being really towards soccer I took that chance and took that risk of football and seeing where it would take me so when coach Soltis like came to my game talked to me after the game, gave me a tour of the campus, all of that, that's when things started to get put in motion and I start, started to become really interested in playing football at the next level. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about the recruiting process of whether you're going to Hiram or any D3 school. Talk about your experience as a D3 recruit, mainly with football, after that initial meeting after your game. Yeah, so things kind of started off with me 
uh, meeting Mike Soltis, the special teams coach, after the game. And he just kind of, like, talked to me about, like, where I was at. We kind of talked about academics. We talked about athletics. Um, just trying to get to know one another. Um, so he told me a little bit about himself, what he does for his work and all of that. So a little bit of the small talk in the beginning. But, like, towards the end, he was like, I'd like you to come out to a football game and give you a tour of the campus. Uh, would that be possible within the next couple of weeks? And I was like, sure, of course. Like, that's like living the dream right there, getting an opportunity to visit campuses and learn about the life and the team and all of that. So I was like, of course, I'll do that. So that was around like week seven. So week eight, he came to my game again. Um, and I had a great game. And he said, tomorrow we have an ho a home game and we're playing against Oberlin College. Would you be able to like go on tour with us and I could show you to the team, show you around the facilities. And I was like, of course, I would love to. Um, so after my game on Friday, I went down for like the game day experience um, at Hiram College. And I, I went down early around probably 9 a.m. because the game's at 1. Um, so he gave me a tour of the campus. He showed me all the training facilities, the weight room, um, some of the classrooms, and introduced me into a bunch of people within the system. Um, and that's when things really got put into motion in terms of me actually starting my commitment to Hiram because this was the only college that actually gave me an opportunity to play at the next level uh, in terms of football. Um, so after I took that tour, um, I watched the game. I was able to be on the sidelines, talk to the players, and talk to the other kickers. Um, there were two other kickers there. One was a senior at the time, and the other was a sophomore. Um, and they just kind of talked to me about, like, how they got to where they're at today and what it took them. And um, they talked to me about how special Hiram is because it's a different place than most D3s. Like you talk about the Mountain Unions, you talk about the JCUs, and these are some pretty decent-sized D3 schools. They have a lot of students, big stadiums, big campuses. Um, but Hiram, it's small. It's like a community and it's like a family. Uh, we actually have less students at Hiram than I had at Stowe High School wow. where I graduated, which is pretty incredible to put it into perspective but at the same time with Hiram you get to know everybody you get to develop those relationships you get to build your brand and build and create whatever you want to do um, post-college career so after that first initial visit that was just getting to know people getting to know the team getting to know some of the players and my coach I fell in love with the campus instantly um, it's a beautiful campus very small easy to maneuver um, and everybody there is just kind you don't even have to know the person that's across the street from you and they'll give you a wave they'll say hi to you and that's just something you don't typically see at other colleges but it's so laid back and calm and family oriented there that you just feel like you fit in right away um, and that was something that was interesting to me because coming from a big high school, watching some people walk across the stage, I felt bad not knowing some of the people that walked across oh, that yeah. stage. But now I know at Hiram, I know everybody that's there. I know their major. I know what sport they play. I know everything about like everybody there. And it makes it like really cool because these aren't just people you're going to meet in college, but these are going to be people you talk to after college when you start your own life and do get a real job in the real world. So... Um, after that, we went into week eight, which was like the second part of the recruiting process. And this time, they week eight, he came to my game again. And then week nine, they had another home game. And this was like their homecoming game. So this was like a big game for them. And this is when they bring in a lot of like former players, a lot of different um, faculty, staff. They come out and support at the game. Um, but he asked me, he was like, hey, the kickers usually get out way before all the other players to warm up, get ready. Would you want to go out and warm up with them and like kind of like 
get a feel for the game day experience, practice and warm up. And I was like, yeah, I was like, that would be incredible. That would be so cool. So this time I actually headed down to Hiram and warmed up with all the kickers. And it was awesome because they were teaching me all these different drills, all these different uh, fundamentals and things that I could implement um, and train for myself over the summer and carry into Next year, if I decided football is my career path, I was practicing all these things with them in warm-ups, and I was like, that was so cool. And then I saw the game, and it was a great game, so I had a great time. Um, but because of that warm-up, that next week for my high school game, I started using some of the things I learned in that warm-up, in my own warm-up, and saw my game jump to that next level because I was practicing things that they do at the next level. And when you put yourself to the test and challenge yourself and try new things, there's only room for improvement. So when you finally made your decision to go to Hiram, what would you say was the one thing, if you had to choose one, that really sold you? What was your main deciding factor? Um, for me, I think the main point would probably be I mean, there's a couple for me, but like, I think the most important aspect for me is family. Like family is what makes my world go round. family and friends both. Um, that's what's important to me. I love people in my life and I want to do what's best for everybody. Um, so when it comes to being close to home, being close to family, that was something that was really a selling point for me because um, I've always been around the area. I've always known where I've been at, um, but I was far enough at Hiram too where I could be on my own uh, and grow up. For me, the selling point at Hiram was that sense of family and community because I have my family, I have my home at Stowe, but then when I went to Hiram, it was like a second home for me. Um, and I was really fortunate and lucky to get that experience because some pe sometimes people go to different colleges and they get homesick, they get worried, they wanna leave. But for me, I fell in love with Hiram and it's almost like a second home to me. There's like, I never get homesick, I never get really afraid or scared or anything like that being at this college it's just it feels natural it feels like I'm supposed to be there and it just feels like destiny and after you graduated high school what was the transition like to college football is it similar to playing in high school or is the level of intensity any different talk a little bit about the transition between the two levels college is a whole different ball game in high school you play all these different sports and it's really fun and you can do that and it's a great time but when you go and you play a college sport you have to be a hundred percent committed and the time you think you have you really don't have so you have to spend your time wisely um, so my transition, I graduated in May, and I took a little week vacation to celebrate with my friends, my family about graduation. But then right after that, you went right to work during the summer. You started your summer lifting program. You started practicing. I'm in a really unique position where my coach is actually a volunteer. And what that does for us and what that entails is I'm allowed to practice with him the entire summer. We can practice every day. We can practice how long we want to practice because he's a volunteer. So there's no restrictions or requirements or NCAA protocol that he has to follow because he's a volunteer. Um, so what that did for me was I'd either come down to Hiram or he'd come down to Stowe and we'd practice like every day of the week. We wouldn't over practice because you don't want to do that as a kicker and punter. So we'd kick like 30 balls a day here and there. But... Kicking is a slow process. Like you have to start and stop and you have to focus on quality over quantity. It doesn't matter if you kick 100 footballs at once. It matters if you kick maybe 20 or 30 and make all 20 and 30. The process started right away for me. You know, you hit the weight room in the mornings, get your workout in, then you run for a little bit. And then in the afternoon, I had some practices with my coach. Um, and that's when I really started to develop my game. But at the same time, in high school, I just kicked the football how I thought 
you were supposed to kick it because I didn't know any better. But once you get to the college level and have a specialized coach, they teach you the fundamentals. They teach you the technique, the form. So basically, my freshman, my summer going into freshman year, I just had a blackboard. You erased everything you learned in high school, and you started from the ground up. So in high school, I was kicking like maybe 42 yarder 43 44 as like a long field goal but I had to start from the ground up so I started back with an extra point and we practice 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 and I'm like I'm really frustrated I'm really upset because at the time being it's like it's like I'm regressing it's like I'm going back but I didn't understand you have to start and stop and do the right things the right way in order to make that progress because if I just practice and keep doing things the way I do I wouldn't make any improvements. I wouldn't gain yardage on my kicks. I wouldn't improve as a player. I'd just be trying to do what's best for me. So getting that individual and specialized coaching um, early on, it was really tough because he was telling me a lot of things that I never considered, didn't think was right. But in the long run, he always talked about this being a partnership. If I don't believe there's something that works for me, you know, we work on it together or we find an alternative. Um, so that freshman year, I was building like the foundation and the base for everything over that summer. So when we transitioned in the fall, I'd be ready to go. And during your time as a two-sport athlete at Hiram, when you were playing a little bit of soccer, what was it like training two sports at the college level? So in high school, it wasn't as tough because, you know, you went to practice after class and you had, I had football from three to five and then soccer from like five to six thirty or whatever. So, you know, you just had those two practices to worry about, which was pretty manageable for the most part. Like, yeah, it was a challenge for me then, but this was even a more challenge for me now because you don't even factor just only the practices. With playing college sports, you have meetings you have to go to, you have film you have to do, you have lifts for both teams, you have um, team dinners, team lunches, all these different things you have to be a part of. Um, so it wasn't just, okay, I go to class, I go to practice, and then I do my second practice after. It's not like that. My day would typically consist of waking up at like, five in the morning uh, getting ready for a half an hour and having soccer from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. and then you have class so you have to go to class from like 8 a.m. to 12 or whatever and that would be like your first class and then the second class would be from uh, one to three or something around there because um, usually you take like one or two classes per day um, and then in between you have like your lunch and your breakfast wherever you can squeeze it in and then the afternoon you'd have typical practice so Soccer would be in the morning, football would be in the afternoon. I'd practice from 4.30, 6.30, and that was just, like, almost half of a day for me. After that, you have to get dinner. You have to go to, like, team study tables, which usually consists from 8 to 10 p.m. So by the end of the day, you don't have time to go play video games or hang out with your friends. You just want to go to bed and sleep because you're <laughs> tired. My days would consist of, like, 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. You get a little rest, and then you go and you repeat every single day. Um, so it was a process then, but like working really hard and doing both at once later on, that's going to help me out in terms of managing my time and being able to balance multiple things at once. So this fall, your team didn't perform as well as you may have liked with a record of two and eight. What would you say were some of your biggest takeaways from this season and how are you going to carry them into next year to improve your team's record? Yeah. So, I mean, Despite our record being 2-8, and eight, we made lots of progress and lots of strides as a team. Like, you look at our record from last year and you're like, okay, they went 1-9. and nine, And then you look at our record this year and you, you go, oh, they went 2-8. and eight. So you're like, oh, they didn't really make a lot of progress. But it's actually a lot different. We did make a lot of strides and a lot of process because the games we lost weren't as significant as the games we lost the year previous. And 
we, we are a very young roster with a lot of youth, a lot of young players. So they're still learning the game at the college level, learning to adjust to the speed, um, the different schemes, um, trying to bond with the coaches, other players. We're trying to develop that chemistry. Um, and this year we had a lot of like tough times. Like we had games where we lost by three points, final second field goals. Um, we had the ball near up and there was a pick six or a fumble. Um, so those are all the little things. Those are the little mistakes you make as a freshman or a rookie. And as time goes on, as you experience more games and you try to develop the offense, defense with your coaching staff, you begin to correct all the little things so everything else begins to fall into place. So um, the big thing for us is we started to make a lot of progress and strides, um, not just in terms of uh, athletics with football, but also with our academics. Something that correlates with teams is team GPA and your team record. If your team GPA isn't really good, your team record probably isn't going to be really good. But if you have a really good team GPA, it usually translates to the field. Because um, you think about teams like Carnegie Mellon, uh, JCU, uh, Baldwin Wallace, they all have amazing GPAs and they win. So we're trying to make that transition not only in the academic field, but athletic field and vice versa. So we're making strides as players on the field and off the field. And I think that's how you develop the best athlete you can is by making them well-rounded, not only on the field, but off the field, in the classroom, in the community. Um, so we've been really trying to touch on making small steps in order to make that big step. And as a Hiram Terrier, what would you say is the biggest game that you play in a season? Who is the Hiram Terrier's biggest rival? So this is actually really interesting because when you talk about the rivalry game, you think about Brown Steelers, Ohio State, Michigan. But when it comes to Hiram, it fluctuates. When I talked to the, like, the seniors that came in before me, their big rival was Oberlin College because they always had really close games. They always battled to the final whistle, to the final second. Um, but now we're making a transition into having Worcester College or College of Worcester becoming our next big rival because we have a lot of bad blood with them. Like when we played them, we had probably like 15 penalties and they had 15 penalties. Most of them were personal fouls or unnecessary roughness. So these were like really intense, uh, really high impact games. So it just intensifies the game. And when the games intensify, you're like, I want to play these guys again next year and show them like what we're made of, what we're capable of. I mean, we have a lot of competitive games, but I think right now, in terms of rivalries, the College of Worcester would be our biggest rival. And Chris, talk about a day in the life of a Hiram football player. What is your daily routine as a student and as a player, especially on game day? Okay, so as a student, I'd start like on Friday because it starts the night before in terms of preparation. Um, so you have your Friday night practice, and we call these Fast Fridays. And what it entails is we throw on our uppers and our lowers, but we only practice for an hour. So Something a lot of teams do is they do walkthroughs on their day before a game because they're like, you know, we want to rest. We want to be ready to go when it comes to terms of Saturday. But for us, we look at it in a different way. We look at it as if we want to stay on top of what we've been working on all week. So we have we just review on Friday, we review everything we're doing, our game plan, everything we need to work on. And we make it short and quick. So usually during the week, I'll kick like five to ten field goals during a practice of like, full rep where everybody's rushing, people are blocking, snap, hold, kick, you know, live reps. But when we get to that Friday, 
we emulate what it would be like to a game. So I kick like an extra point and three different field goals. And they're spotted around different distances, different hashes. Um, so it tries to mimic what a game-like experience would be. So on Fridays, we do like our preparation for the game. Um, so after that, we kind of review where everybody's supposed to be in terms of positions and knowing their backups and their third strings because a lot of people get hurt, things happen in a game, people get disqualified. So you need to be prepared in terms of who's the backup, who's traveling, all of that. So we address all of that, and once practice is over, once we address starters, bench, and third strings, or the travel roster, then we transition into like prepping for the game for real, getting our jersey, getting our pants, prepping our helmet with stickers, all of that kind of deal. Um, all the like cosmetics in terms of being ready and prepared for the game, um, getting the ball bag ready, making sure the balls are up to pressure. Like We have to make sure that everything is ready so when we show up on game day on Saturday, it's all there in front of us. We're not scrambling around looking for stuff or trying to run around and find something that we lost or whatever. Our jerseys are there, our helmets are there, everything that we need is prepared and ready to go. You know, we have a team curfew. We get to bed before 10 p.m., especially if there's a game the next day. Um, the only time you wouldn't go to bed before 10 p.m. is if you're working on homework, um, and that happens. Sometimes you have exams or stuff that are on Fridays, and it's un understandable. Um, but, like, fast forward to Saturday, I commute to Hiram, so basically I have to wake up a little earlier than everybody else, and I'm a kicker and specialist, so I have to show up earlier than everybody else there too. Um, but basically I wake up in the morning, have breakfast with my mom and my dad, um, and kind of just mentally lock in, listen to some music or read a chapter from a book just to get that mind rolling, get it, get it processing the day, get it ready to go nice and fresh. Um, so I have my breakfast and I travel down to Hiram. Once I get to Hiram, um, that's where I go straight to the training room. I get to Hiram about 9 a.m. and the game starts around roughly 12 or 1. It depends on the game day. Um, sometimes we have late games, but that's really rare. Um, so I show up to Hiram, and the first thing I do is I get my ankles taped. Um, I had some pretty severe ankle injuries in high school um, that kind of traveled with me into my college career. So something that's really big is me getting treatment, taking care of my body, um, and doing prep work in order to keep my body in the best shape it can be so get my ankles taped and once I get my ankles taped um, then I put on my jersey my helmet all of that and then something I do that's really special as a ritual for me is um, before my game I tape my wrist and I have a sharpie with me and what I write on my wrist is relatives that passed away my mom my dad and people of significance in my life so if I have a teammate that got hurt that week I put them on my wrist if I had someone that passed away that was close to me or a friend that's going through a rough time I put them on my wrist um, and that allows me to dedicate my game to something bigger and play for something bigger than either myself or my team it makes you put things in perspective so every time I tape my wrists and I start writing down people and things that are important to me it makes me realize the bigger picture and what I'm really playing for and it gives you a sense of pride because I'm not just going out and I'm playing college football for the heck of it. I'm playing for something bigger. I'm playing for something that means more to me than just a game. I play for the people that got me here. I play for people that I love, people that I want to make proud. So every time I put Hiram across my chest, it, it means something to me. And it, that's why I love college sports is because it teaches everything outside of just being an athlete. It teaches you life lessons that you can take into the real world. Um, so now whenever I get ready for game days, um, whenever I tape my wrist and stuff like that, that's when I take like a mental check to realize, okay, what's going on in my life? What's important? Um, I kind of like reflect. And once I do all of that, then I'm like, okay, 
got that all out of my mind and you know I thought about it and it kind of like clears my head so it gets me fresh and ready to go for my game um, so I, I'm ready to go I'm super high energy I'm ready I'm happy um, so I go out and I warm up and the thing with specialists is like we take up the entire field because we kick if our game starts at 1 we have to go out two hours before at like 11 a.m. and start warming up with field goals kickoffs punts and what have you um, so when we do that um, that's when we get like a really good warm-up in where we sweat, we get ready, um, we try to make everything feel game-like, snap, hold, kick, what have you. Um, so I get my warm-up in, uh, we head back into the locker room, and then the team takes the field collectively as a group. Um, so that's when we go through our final adjustments, run our last couple plays, stretch, all that, and then we get ready for the coin toss and start the game. Sounds like a fantastic routine and a routine that does in fact work for you because you broke seven school records this past season, which is fantastic. Talk about those records. What were they and how did that make you feel? Yeah, so these records date all the way back to the first time I met my coach my freshman year. Um, before I even had my first college practice or my first um, college game or anything like that, he sat me down and he's like, what are your goals? And me as a high schooler, freshman Straight out of high school, I'm like, my goals I for football, for class? He was like, all of it. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so he was like, okay, if you don't know your goals, I have this little paper, and I do this with all my specialists, and it seems to work for him. Um, you kind of highlight and outline things that are important to you in terms of relationships, so the people that are in your life, uh, your faith, what you believe in and why, um, academics, so what you want to achieve in the classroom, athletics, what you want to achieve on the field, and then just personal goals, things you want to achieve on your own, fitness, health, whatever. So he gives me this sheet, and I'm, I'm like, I'm sitting down, and I'm looking at all these things, and it has these questions, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, I, I mean, doesn't everybody want to win a national championship? And I'm like, yeah, that, that would be the best thing in the world. And I'm like, yeah, I want to win a national championship. He was like, well, yeah, you want to win a national championship, but what goals do you have to set up for yourself to get there? You got to start small. So I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. There's short-term and long-term goals. So first he had me start with the short-term. And he's like, right now we're just going to focus on short-term. It's all short-term. Once we start meeting some of our short-term goals, then we can look into those long-term goals. Yeah, you can have your end goal in the back of the mind, but you need to take it day by day, step by step, and do the little things right in order to do the big things right. So he sat me down and he was like, I'll try to help you if you need help, but this is supposed to be meant just for you. I don't want to influence your answers or where you want to take your career or your path. So I sat down and I'm like, okay, I guess I got to figure out what my goals are as a person, as an athlete, um, and in terms of academics. I looked into it and this probably took me somewhere between 10 to 12 hours, which is pretty incredible. Wow. Um, because unless you sit down and actually do the work and try to figure out what you really want to do with your life, it takes you time to realize what's important, what's in the moment, and what's like really big to you and what's you want to achieve. So my freshman year, I started a little close with some short-term goals. My first goal was I want to make the starting spot. I want to win out my position for being a kicker, punter, and kickoff specialist. So that was my first goal. I'm like, if I can do that, then I get to play in the game. That's the first step. I need to be able to see the field in order to play. So that was my first goal. My next goal was, okay, I want to be able to do whatever I can to help my team win. So that's making all my extra points. That's making 
all my field goals. That's hitting my kickoffs in the right position. So it's doing my position and filling my role to the best of my ability. So that was like my second goal. And then after that, you have goals that you want to attain. So yeah, I want to be 100% with my PATs and my field goals, and I want to hit touchbacks in my kickoffs. But things happen. There's variation. There's climate there's different formations schemes that you have to run so you have to make these adjustments within the game um so you you come up with these goals and part of the process of me coming up with these goals is i had to pull up the record book from Hiram college and i had to look at my position i'm like what am i really shooting for in my career what do i want to attain so when i started looking into this record book my freshman year i'm, I'm looking at these huge records that i'm like oh my god i'm like there's no way in my entire being <laughs> at Hiram college i'm going to achieve any of these cuz they're so like so far away it seems like and i was just like well i printed them out i highlight them and i look at them i looked at them every single day and i'm like this is what i'm trying to reach this is what i'm trying to do so when you have that in the back of your mind of your bigger goals when you're trying to achieve those short-term goals, um, it gives you more motivation when you're struggling, when you fail. Because there were times where I missed a season goal or I didn't achieve something that I wanted to do. And that, it hurts really bad, but eventually you're going to get it right. Eventually you're going to achieve it. Um, you just find out all the ways that you shouldn't do it or you fail um, and you need to fail to succeed. Uh, that's part of the process, not only in sports, but in life as a person, like everything's not going to be rainbow and roses. Like you're going to have to go through some triumph to appreciate the times that are good. Um, so I came up with some short term goals and then started achieving little by little. So my freshman year, I didn't achieve any goals. I didn't meet any of the goals that I wanted to attain. The only one that I really achieved was winning that starting spot, which I was happy with because even that took a lot of work and a lot of preparation because I worked all summer, all fall, and I finally won that position. So, you know, you have to be happy for the things you achieve, but you have to stay hungry, stay humble, and try to push yourself to get better. Transition into my sophomore year, I'm like, okay, I have a year under my belt. I have some experience. Now I got to start aiming, start aiming big, try to achieve as much as I can. And, you know, you can't do it by yourself. This process requires your teammates, your coaches, other people. Whatever I achieve this season, credit goes to my teammate, credit goes to my coaches, credit goes to my family, my friends, all of that, because they're all part of the process. So for me, this sophomore year, I shot for the moon. I was like, okay, I want to make all my PATs and set the PAT record. I want to kick the longest field goal because I'm strong enough now. I put in the work in the weight room. I want to have the largest kickoff average over the season, over the conference. I want to be all conference. And so I'm, I'm like shooting big, but I didn't shoot like, oh, I want to be an All-American or I want to win out the conference or be first team all-conference, specialist of the year, because you have to win those little battles first. I elaborated to that earlier. So first I want to just break those records and, and do what I can to like help my team. And once I get those records and then once I get an all-conference, then I can look at All-American. Then I can look at being specialist of the year, all of that. I never even thought about being all-conference or being all-American until my coach sat me down and he's like, listen, you put in this work freshman year. If I compare your freshman year to all the other kickers in the league, all our former kickers at Hiram, you have something that's going for you that is different than a lot of other people. You're making progress in a way that's going extremely fast, extremely quick, um, and it's great to see. You just need to keep that going. You need to keep going, stay hungry, stay humble, and keep working on it because eventually you're going to start achieving those goals and they're going to be coming so fast at you, you don't know what to do with them. Um, so fast forward to this year being like my second year because freshman year was kind of a COVID year, I started achieving some of these goals. You you work all year round. You work your whole career to achieve these goals. And when once you achieve them, like in the moment, it's amazing. It's the greatest f f feeling in the world. 
Like when I kicked my 50 yard field goal that broke the longest field goal record in Hiram history, I actually did something like really cool here, something for real. Um, and I was like really excited, but it wasn't all about me. It was about my teammates too. It was about the coaches because when I do that kick and I make that kick or break that record, it's not just me breaking that record. It takes my teammates, my coaches. What made it special is they were able to celebrate that record with me. And that's what made me the happiest is when, you know, I break this record or do this thing that's really great. They can celebrate with me because they were a part of that process. Like whenever I make a field goal, I'm like, I only own one third, one third of that success because I have a snapper and a holder. I'm like, this is your record. This is your record. You did this. You did that. If you didn't do your jobs, I can't do mine. Right. That's how it goes. The coolest part about like the records that I broke was I was able to celebrate those with everybody and everybody was able to celebrate as if that was their record. And that's what makes me feel amazing and happy because um, that shows how close we are as a team, how close I am to the people in my life. Because when you do something really great and people get excited for you, that means they actually care. It's not like they like they see you break a record and they're like, oh, that's great for him. No, they're actually excited. They're happy for you. Um, and they're just invested in you and they want to see what you have to offer in the future. So something my parents always told me growing up is, Always invest time and devote time to those that are devoted in you. So the people that care about you in your life and the people that try to push you to be a better person every day, those are the people that you want to surround yourself with, and that's the environment that you want to create for yourself. But if you try to hang out with people that don't have your best interests at mind or don't think about your goals and aspirations and they're more of in the moment, those are people that are going to tear you down and take you away from the goals you're trying to achieve. So. Um, Hiram is the perfect spot for me because it's an environment where I can be and do anything that I set my mind to. Um, and that's something I never really realized until I got to college and I was on my own and I was like, everything I do here all revolves around me. If I want to get good grades, I have to put in the work to get these good grades. They're not going to come to me. If I want to be a great athlete, I have to do the work. I have to do whatever is possible and I have to do it on my own. No one's going to give me anything. No one's going to hand you anything. You got to go out and get what's yours. So you got to have that determination, that motivation. Um, so I took that drive and I went back to that record book. I was like, listen, these are what I'm trying to attain. And I tried to start small with the things that I thought was within range. So I started with those different records. And once I started achieving them, you know, it's the greatest feeling in the world. Everybody's up and happy, but you can't relish in it forever. You can't stop there. You got to keep going. So right after maybe a couple days or a week after I achieve all these things, it's like, okay, you did something great. You're making progress. What's next? Okay. I want to be all conference. Okay, I made that. What's next? You want to be an All-American. Okay, what's next? I want to make it to the league or make a combine trial. Okay, great. What's next? I want to make it to the league. So you have to start slow. You can't just go, okay, I just broke this record at Hiram College. Now I want to just play in the NFL. <laughs> That's not how <laughs> things work. It's chronological order. You can't just jump from one thing to the next. It's awesome because you see a process and you see how trusting the process and taking things step by step in the long run pay off because something my coach and I did did, like during this year is we focus on accuracy and height in terms of field goal so 
if you can keep the ball high, you can get it over the line, you give it that chance to go in. If you have the accuracy, it's going to go straight and it's going to go in. But my coach never, I mean, a couple times we'd go out to 50, 55, 60 yards to like see what I'm capable of. But just because I wanted to break this long field goal record doesn't mean every day I'm practicing 50 yards every single day. The money kicks are where it's between the 20 and the 40. So if you get all those down, eventually you're going to get that opportunity and that shot to kick that 50, 60 yarder. And you just got to trust your fundamentals and what you've learned, um, and it translates. And then I didn't really understand that at first because I'm like, if I want to hit these records and do these things, I have to do everything to the extreme. I got to kick 50 yards every day. I have to hit touchbacks on every kick. But it's like, no, you got you to gotta start small and do the little things right so then the long things fall into place. Um, so it's pretty interesting with that long field goal record because the week before, I actually tied the record. Um, and it was a 47-yarder uh, on the left hash. And I made it. This was a really far kick. Oh, I tied the record. I was like, okay, I tied the record, but it's all right. I'll get a chance. You know, I'll, I'll keep working, and eventually I'll get another opportunity. Right after that game, the former record holder that I tied reached out to me, and he was like, his name's Ray Tarasuk, and he was like, hey, I heard about your big kick. I just want to congratulate you, say, like, I'm happy for you. It stood for, like, 35 years. I, I was always looking forward to this day that someone would either tie or break my record. Just know I'm really happy for you. And, like, I'd <laughs> like to get to know you, get to meet That's you, stuff awesome. like that. Yeah, so it's really cool because with Hiram being this, like, community in this small place, there's relations. And people are still invested even when they're outside of the college. People always give back to Hiram. They donate. They fund. Um all the players that used to play on the team, they come to our game still because they care. Um, we have those relationships. We're brothers, we're family, and we're in it to the end. Um, so, like, with that record and everything, um, the next week, amazingly, I got another opportunity, but then this time it was from 50. So I was like, okay, this is the real deal. Um, and it's really nerve-wracking when you know you have that opportunity and you have that chance to break a record or do something great. But that's when you have to, like, think to yourself, okay, I worked all summer, all fall. I've done all this, done all that. I just got to trust myself, do what I know how to do, be calm, relaxed, collected, and then you just trust your fundamentals, your muscle memory, and it just all falls into place. It's like poetry in motion. Chris, before I let you go, I do have to ask an impromptu question. Okay. Where did the nickname Miller Time originate from? And for those of you who don't know, <laughs> Chris Miller, you can kind of connect the dots started i believe in high school maybe i'm wrong but miller time is the nickname associated with chris miller and i really want to know where it came from yeah so this is actually a pretty interesting story because when i talk about it everybody wants to take credit for it they're like oh yeah i gave chris that nickname and then i talk <laughs> to someone else and they're like no i gave you that nickname so there's a couple of people in my life that you know, have ownership of it. But I think it was kind of like collectively as a group, a couple different people. So, I mean, it really all started when I started playing basketball, football, and soccer because, like, I was at all these athletic competitions. So people are seeing my face. And they're, like, making jokes. So they're like, you know, we need to give this kid a nickname or something because <laughs> we see him all the time. So they're like... One of the people is Zach Gandy. The other person's Carter Klein, who I talked about earlier. And then my parents and my brother. And then some of my coaches, too, surprisingly. Um, so it's, it's really funny because the first time I ever heard it was at a football game. I was going to kick an extra point, 
And one of my, like, it was a group effort. I think there was multiple people, and they started to the chant. They're like, Miller time, Miller time. Because I was going out to kick a field goal, <laughs> so they were getting excited. The student section was getting amped up. Um, so they just started chanting that. So, like, every time I went to kick a field goal or an extra point, you just hear the Miller time, Miller time. And I was like, <laughs> this is great. Um, so that, that was just in football. And then I noticed, like, a week later in soccer, I'm in the net. And I make a save, and then I just hear the chant again. It's like, Miller time. And I'm like, oh, my God, this thing's traveling wherever I go. Um, and then it got to the winter. It was the same thing with basketball. So they, they started the chant here and there. But then I was like, okay. Obviously, that was my high school career. That nickname was awesome when I had it. I'm not probably going to have it anymore in college. But it's crazy how one thing can translate to the next and how <laughs> word of mouth passes from one to the next because I got to college, and I started kicking. And then in the back of my ear, I'm like, I hear it. It's Miller time. And I'm like, there's no way. There's no way this traveled all the way from me to college. Not saying it's a bad thing. I'm glad this is what traveled with me from high school to college. But um, it's just something that kind of gives me a little bit of identity, something that's like true to me and who I am as a person. Because when I hear the nickname Miller time, it's not just them cheering me on and implying me to be like do something good or something like that. Miller time is all about me spending time with the people I love and investing myself um, in order to make others happy. Um, so when I think about my nickname, yeah, it's just a nickname and stuff like that, but it, it means something to me, and it, it makes me happy every time I hear it because when I hear that chant or people are excited for me, it's like, you know, you're doing something good in life because you have this great supporting cast around you, and you love these people, and they become your family, whether that be friends, coaches, whatever. Um, but it can be pretty comical at times where, you know, you're in class and your teacher calls on you, but they call you by Miller time, and you're like, yeah, I, I never even told you this story or anything like that. You're just calling me Miller time. How did that travel to you? Um, so it's pretty interesting. And my coaches from time to time, instead of saying like someone's name, first name or last name, like Chris or Miller or whatever, they imply like Miller time. And, you know, everybody has special nicknames for different reasons. But that's something that, you know, developed over a couple years. And it, I think it was something that will carry with me the rest of my life. It's a nickname that I was glad to participate in during my time at Stowe High School. <laughs> and Chris, before we close out, what is one final piece of advice you would give to any high school athlete that is considering a D3 school, whether it's Hiram or anywhere else? Well, you got to love it. I mean, bottom line, at the end of the day, you got to love what you do and you got to invest yourself. So when it comes to college football, especially at the D3 level, you're not typically, you're not getting paid, you're not getting endorsements, you're not getting as much recognition as a D1 player would, but if you understand the process and what it takes, you're part of that 1% of the world that gets to play college sports. You have this opportunity in front of you that nobody else or very few others have. So if you can take what you have going on for you and use it to take you to that next level, use it to improve you as a person on and off the field, it's something that will change your life forever. Um, and for me, D3 is really special because it's not like you go to Ohio State or Michigan or Cincinnati or whatever, and you go there and basically you just play football. Everybody knows you as a football player. They're like, oh, he's on the football team. That's C.J. Stroud. You know, That's our quarterback. That's this, that, that. When they talk about these athletes at D1, they just talk about them in their sport. They don't talk about you outside of it. They don't say, oh, yeah, I know Chris. He's in my class. He helps me with homework. Or, oh, yeah, I know Chris. He's an RA. He looks out after me and gives me help whenever I need assistance in the dorms. Um, so at Hiram or at other D3s, 
people will look at you as like a real person and accept you for who you are and be your friend other than just playing that sport. So if you want to take that jump and get to the next level and you're deciding between D1, D2, D3, or just deciding if you want to play football in general, you got to love it. You got to be committed um, because too many times I see people and freshmen come in and they're like, yeah, college football sounds fun. I'm playing D3. But then you have to realize it's not just you go to practice and you play in the games. You got those meetings you got to go to. You got these team events you have to attend. So it it takes up a lot of your time. So you have to be able to sacrifice that time in order to achieve what you want in football. I mean, the biggest advice for me is like if you want something, whether it be football, D3 or whatever, you got to love it. You got to invest in it. And that goes through everything. It's not just football. That goes in your job. If you work someday and you're looking for a job, you got to love it. If you can go to work every day loving what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And for me, yeah, I have this crazy schedule that I'm following in college. I got classes, football, soccer, all these other things. But I love it. It's what makes me happy. It may be different than everybody else's career path or what they want to do but it brings me joy it brings me happiness and it brings other people happiness so I know if I'm doing right now what I am at Hiram College playing D3 football and I'm doing it to the best of my ability I'm reaching my potential I'm doing great things I'm achieving my goals I'm being everything I wanted to be and that can be you absolutely Chris thank you so much for joining me here today oh of course I mean it was a pleasure I was always looking forward to being on a podcast I'm just so <laughs> lucky happen to be my first one with you Absolutely. Thanks again, Chris. We really appreciate it. Stick with us for much more interviews right here on Sports Power Talk Overtime. SPTOT fans, you just heard from Hiram College's kicker, Chris Miller. Once again, this is Life of a Division Three Athlete, and I am your host, Logan Congrove. Next up, I got a guy who plays for one of the most highly regarded Division Three programs in the country, and his name is Josh Jones. Josh is a senior defensive back at Mount Union who just finished up his season. Without further ado, here is Mr. Josh Jones. Josh, thanks for joining me today. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Logan? Doing fantastic. Josh, Mountain Union is a fantastic Division Three program. They currently have 31 OAC championships as well as 10 national titles. What does it mean to you to be playing in a program like Mountain Union? Uh, it's it's very it's a blessing for real because not a lot of many people get to get the opportunity to play for a program like this, and and it's just it's really just a blessing in disguise, and it's it's really uh, been a big part of my life. And when you were recruited by Mountain Union, what was the process like? The DB coach, he hit me up over the summer going into my senior year. He knew I played wide receiver, but he uh, wanted me to come there and play corner, and which I really didn't want to do at first. But after he talked to me, he convinced me to play corner. So it was it was kind of kind of a good move for, for me to play corner instead of wide receiver. But going into my uh, freshman year, I wound up switching to wide receiver going into the playoffs so that was also a cool experience to get to play both sides of the ball and learning the offensive scheme too i know this podcast is being titled life as a division three athlete what is the division three recruiting process like as a whole compared to others um it's really it's really hard because you got a lot of coaches coming at you but at the same time you're just trying to find the the school that fits you the best because they're not always going to be that big times and it's not always going to be like the biggest campus or the biggest school around the area. I mean, it was it was easy for me. 
because uh, Mount Union is really the only D3 school that was contacting me, and they showed a lot of love. So I really appreciated that from them. What other schools contacted you during your recruiting process, and what division were they in? Uh, Ohio Dominican, that's Division Two. Notre Dame College, that's also Division Two, and then Akron wanted me to walk on, so that's Division One. And when you were first coming out of high school, coming from a school like St. Vincent St. Mary, talk to me a little bit about the similarities between playing at a major high school at the high school level and then transitioning to Division Three football. Uh, it really wasn't a drop off because at St. V, we always had the target on our back, and coming to Mount, it was basically the same thing. Every team wants to beat you. Every team wants to to say that they they beat the big time program all the time. So it wasn't really a big drop off. I knew what I had to do. Yeah, just basically working hard and all all the other stuff that comes with that. Josh, you were a two sport athlete in high school. Were you contacted out of high school by any schools to play basketball? No, and that's really why I went to St. Vincent St. Mary to play basketball. And that's <laughs> the crazy thing about it. But um, people always ask me why I play for the Mount Union basketball team here. So I, I don't know. I, everybody keep asking me. I might play this year or next year. When playing for Mountain Union, what would you say is the biggest rivalry game that your team gets up for? Really, John Carroll. That's the really biggest rivalry because we know we're always going to get their best game from them. And we just know that we got to bring our best game for them because they, they know who we are, but they're never going to lay down just because of our name. Josh, this season, I'm looking at your stats. So far, you have four interceptions and one of them returned for a touchdown. Talk a little bit about that play and how exciting was it to get an uh, interception returned for a touchdown? Uh, it was really it was really cool because uh, I had one earlier in the season, the first game of the season, and I took it 70 yards back and got tackled at the one-yard line. So I knew I needed that redemption. <laughs> and uh, the, the Wilmington game, I just read the quarterback's eyes and uh, – I just did what I had to do, which was pick the ball and take it to the crib. You are currently averaging 12 tackles on the season and one per game. Josh, talk about this season as a whole for your football program, and what were some expectations coming into the year, and what would you say you've gotten out of this season? Uh, expectations coming into the year, we knew uh, from last season that we we had to be on a revenge tour. We had that chip on our shoulder because – we had lost in the semifinals, and that's really not. We usually get to the national championship, so feeling that feeling, it wasn't it wasn't very good. But going into the season, we used it as motivation, and we we just been taking it from there. Every every game, every play, every rep, every play we do in practice, we just we think about that time last year and how we felt, and and using it as motivation for this season. Talk about how there are multiple rounds in the playoffs, the NCAA football playoffs, as opposed to Division One, where the, if you don't make the four-team playoff, you're essentially just playing in a meaningless bowl game. The Division Three level is a little bit different. Talk about that. Right. So um, my freshman year, we, we played North Central second round, and we lost. So that was the first time we lost in the second round since, like, 19-something. And really that, that put in this view of, it's either win or go home. There's like no second chances. You only get one one game, one game at a time. So really just taking that game and, and doing everything that we can to win and putting our all into that one game and doing what we have to do to move on to the next round. Would you say that it is more taxing mentally that there are more rounds in Division Three than there are in Division One or Two? Um, I wouldn't say more taxing. I just feel like it's it's more of a mindset and a more motivation thing going on and the, at the D3 level. I feel like uh, the rounds, it's more, it gets more exciting in the playoffs. So I like I like being in the playoff setting because it's, it's where you get to play the best opponents around the country. 
and you get to show you get to show the, the country which you or the nation like what we can do and what we can accomplish and show them how good we are and josh if you were a division three player that is looking to go pro in the national football league would you say that it is more difficult to get looks at the division three level or is it all a matter of your play on the field uh it's kind of both but really it's just the more of how you play because at, at Mount Union, we get a lot of NFL scouts. We've had 20 out of the 32 teams this year during our summer practices. So that's actually been a good experience for me and for our team to see, like, they actually they still do come out and they, they're they like, we're not going unnoticed, like, just because we're three and Division ones are bigger. So we really get the same, I feel like, the same amount of attention that the D1 level gets. So... It's really just a, a great experience for myself and for my team. What would you say as a Division three athlete is your favorite thing about playing at this level? It's like, I just feel like a lot of D1, D2s, and just people around the, around the country feel like D3 isn't as good as other divisions. But I really think it's the same. If not, it's more exciting, I feel like. And just that, just being in that setting is I just love being excited before the games and especially during the playoffs because everybody's watching the D3 during the playoffs. So it's really just an exciting feeling, I feel like. On campus at Mountain Union, do the students get excited for the playoffs? Oh, yeah, all the time. Even the professors. I feel like the professors get more excited than the than the students <laughs> do, for real, for real, because every day in class, uh, every week, is somebody like, it's a professor coming up to me, oh, you guys ready for this week? Um, who you guys have? Like, what, what have you guys been doing? So it's really just a lot of questions from the professors because they really never been in this kind of situation. As you said before, since most guys in D3 are there more for the team aspect and because of their love for the game, would you say that it is more helpful to your team and your program that there aren't guys leaving for the NFL after one or two years? Most guys in Division Three are going to play all four years or even five for some players. Yeah, I feel like it's I feel like it's better because you get more development, you get to work on your technique more, and you get more of that in-game experience. Because at the end of the day, it's all about what you do in game and not what you do outside of the game and like practicing workouts and all that. So I feel like um, we get we get more of the the technical part of playing the whole four years because uh, and it's giving us more time to develop as a as a player too. So I feel like uh, it's a good experience for me because. Development is always the key, and technique is, is a big part of going going to the next level. What is your pregame routine before every game? Uh, so we get up 7.30, walk over to the, to the locker room. We take a little walk around campus, go eat breakfast at like 8. After that, I come back to my room. Sit, I sit here and just chill out before the game, watch some film over the other team. Uh, and then sometimes I meditate. And then uh, going back to the locker room, we just get ready for the game. It's like, I'll say an hour before the game, we go out, warm up our DBs. We do a little a little warm up together and just work on like our footwork, um, breaks and all that. So, yeah, that's that's how it is. Talk to me about the facilities at Mountain Union. I know some people have the impression that Division One facilities are much better than Division Two or Division Three, but sometimes that's not true. Talk to me about what you see at Mountain Union that really drew you to the school and the football facilities? Uh, yeah, the, definitely the football facilities. We have our own workout room, your own workout room where you, where you can go in there anytime you want. Um, and then recently they just built the Caper, the Don Capers building. So that's like our own little football room or building where we go in, watch film, uh, have team meetings, and just 
where all the coaches stay. So we can just go in there and talk to them whenever we want. So I feel like that's a big part. And also the training staff, we have a good training staff. They always make sure we're ready for the next game and making sure our bodies are right for the for the next week. Josh, talk about your coaches. What would you say you've learned at the Division three level from your coaches that you don't think you could have gotten any other place? Yeah, big part is a uh, defensive back coach, Coach Ely. He really emphasizes technique like I talked about earlier. He's always making sure, and it's more of a thinking game for him. So bringing all the, the, all the aspects around the game into – into the into your mind is like it's a big part so like um if it say it's like third down or something and this is third and two he's making sure that we're always in the right position making sure that they don't get the first down so i feel like that's also a big part and then just the family aspect we're, we're a small team so we're all close with each other and uh just all the coaches being there for us whenever we need them to i feel like that's a big part too you talked about how in high school you were a wide receiver and you discredited your coach on the transition to defensive back. What was the transition like from wide receiver to defensive back and how hard was it to learn a whole new position coming into the college level? Uh, my freshman year it was kind of hard, but they knew I had the ability, I had the footwork, and I had the technique to become a great corner uh, at Mount Union. So it was just really learning the plays, learning the uh, different coverages that we have and and learning like what we have to do in the run fit and what we have to do in the passing game for for opponent. Josh, what would your advice be to any high school athlete out there that is considering a Division three sport? Uh, I just feel like don't don't take the division into account. Like just go wherever fits you, and go where, where the wherever the coaches are showing the most love, and you know that the love is genuine, and like they actually want you to be there. Because uh, when I was in high school, like. A lot of coaches like they weren't contacting me like Mount Union was. Mount Union used to contact me after every every game, every Saturday they would contact me, talk about the uh, game that I had on Friday, and just what things I could have did better. But also just making sure I'm I'm straight and I'm doing right in the classroom and making sure I'm I'm doing life and right, doing life right. In your time at Mount Union, as you are a senior this year, what would you say your most memorable game as a player is so far? Um. It was my last year, my junior year, and we was playing Marietta. I had a – it was second play from drive. I had a pick six, and then we were away, so it really silenced the crowd. So I feel like that was my best memory because uh, that, that was a different feeling because I feel like I thought the they had threw a flag because the crowd was so silent. So I think that was my best memory for sure. Josh, a few weeks ago, there was a play by one of your teammates – on a last-second Hail Mary to beat Baldwin-Wallace. Talk to me about that play as you were on the bench as a defensive player. Talk to me about Man. that play and how your team reacted. Man, uh, it was really a crazy experience. I've never been in a game like that before. It was it was snowing. It was really cold. And we had just came off the field, and I felt defeated because we let them score with, like, I'd say 30 seconds to go left in the game. Really, the whole defense was just down. But we were still watching the offense, hoping that they, they did what they did and executed the right way. Uh, but when he threw that Hail Mary, we was like, oh, it's over. But when it bounced off the, the defender's head and, and Wayne caught it, we all just went crazy. We was like, wow, this is, it was really just God. It was a blessing for real. Because that's something that you don't see every game. It's something that, does, that doesn't usually happen. And see, that's a prime example as to, like you alluded to, the division really doesn't matter. The excitement is there at all levels for football. Would you say that that play brought a lot of media attention to Division Three football? 
Oh, most definitely. Uh, even though like we always get the most media attention, like out of the Division Three, that one really I felt like brought it in and made the playoff more exciting for us and for all the teams that are in the playoffs right now. What was the celebration like in the locker room post game? Oh, it was <laughs> it was it was really nerve wracking because like we knew we could have played better in the game, but at the same time we was just happy to stay alive and and get the win at the end of the day and and uh, win the OAC. And Josh, before we close out our interview, earlier in this season, Mount Union TikTok did post a video of one of your teammates asking if who the best singer on the team was. And you said you. Said you. So Josh, I am going to put you on the spot here. Give me a little bit something for the listeners to hear. Man, I, uh, that was just all jokes. That was just for TikTok. My boy Deuce has that on lock. <laughs> Josh, I heard you sing. I heard you're pretty fantastic. <laughs> you were very confident just, when you said it's me. <laughs> that was just a one-time thing. <laughs> For all the listeners wondering if Josh Jones can sing, check out Mount Union Football's TikTok. Scroll down a little bit, and you will find out very quickly that the answer is yes. <laughs> Josh, I appreciate that, Logan. <laughs> absolutely. Josh, thank you so much for joining me. Yo, thank you for having me, man. All right, folks. Last but not least, I am super pleased to introduce our last guest on this episode of SPT Overtime, my good friend and John Carroll defensive back, Luke Larkin. Luke, how are you doing today? Hey, fantastic. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Nice to see you again. Absolutely. Good to see you as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Luke, I wanted to start out talking a little bit about your background with the game of football. What got you into the game of football altogether? Man, um... My older brother was a big inspiration for me, like all the time growing up. And so uh, my first memory of playing the game, honestly, was just um, on the side yard, you know, playing with him and his friends. Uh, I was always playing with like older kids and, you know, I'd get beat up and stuff. But uh, <laughs> honestly, I had I had so much fun being able to like hang around those guys and stuff. I always looked up to like the, the football players at my high school and stuff. So... Um, I think just at a really young age, um, it's, it was something that I was inspired to do. And I mean, I really just stuck with it ever since, you know, I got signed up for the rec league and never looked back. Growing up in some of those rec leagues, who would you say are some teammates you had that really kept you in the game or kept you excited about football? Well, first off, uh, my good friend, AJ, may he rest in peace. Um, me and him always played the game a lot together. Uh, when we were kids, and we really pushed each other to be the best athletes we can be. Colin Shum, also, me and him were uh, always good friends growing up. Jordan Carlton, uh, just to name a couple. Um, there's there's too many to even. Trey Moxley, uh, <laughs> you know Mox. Oh, man. yeah. Yeah, he, he brings the juice all the time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think there's so many. It's hard to name. Cade McDougal, got to shout out him. Uh, it, it's really it's so many great people I've met through this game. That's one thing that I've really loved about this game is uh, the people I've been introduced to and so many great friends I've made just through this sport, so many lessons I've learned. So, As you grew older, obviously a graduate of Kent Roosevelt High School, talk a little bit about what Kent football did for you, whether it was at the Pee Wee level, the high school level, what impact did Kent Roosevelt have on you and your future career? Man, where do I begin, man? Uh, so many people, um, once again, just people that inspired me and uh, pushed me to be my best. Um, I kind of alluded to it at the beginning. Uh, high school football players that I looked up to, Richard Graves is a huge one. That he was always, I was a water boy on the sideline for Kent football always growing up, and he was always cool with me, but also just a crazy athlete, man. What a very talented player. 
and he ended up coaching me for the first two years at Kent, and he was a huge, huge role model for me. He always kept it real with me. He wasn't really like a coach, more like a, a friend that was also super knowledgeable about the game. I, I think also, though, just aspiring to be a future coach, it, you know, some look at it as a negative. While I was at Kent, we had three head coaches, which sounds, you know, crazy to even, like, wrap your head around. But it really gave me an opportunity to pick out different things about different coaching staffs that I liked and disliked. Uh, something that, like, different things I'd want to bring into my program in the future if I do get a coaching job in the future, if I'm blessed enough to make that happen. So I, I learned a lot from those experiences as well. And, you know, people that go to uh, some of the private schools and the, the schools that are winning all the time, I have a lot of teammates that, so it's not a knock on them, but, you know, you get so accustomed to winning and what it's like to win. And uh, I think I learned a lot from those times that we might not have been having a great season, but, you know, you learn a lot from those uh, times of, of tribulations, and I think it really shapes you as a man. Those shortcomings, I think you can learn so much from those those moments, and it's all about how you approach those moments. So I think I learned a lot from that as well. What would you say your favorite memory of playing high school football was? Man, that's tough. I, easily, um, the Ravenna games, I would say, are always great. Ken Ravenna is one of the best high school rivalries in, in the state. So being able to participate in that was, was an honor and a humbling experience. We had a lot of great matchups against them while I was there um, my junior year. It was a great game. You know, we played against uh, uh, Sonny Ray Jones, great player. Um, we, were, we just had their number. You know, that particular season, I think nine times out of ten, they might beat us. But, you know, that one game, it, it happened to be that one time, and, and we were able to defeat them that night. So that was a great game. And then, obviously, my senior year came up on the, the short end of it. But, I mean, you talk about a triple overtime game, I think it was, That's against right. Ravenna and one of the, the best high school uh, rivalries. You, you can't beat that. I think those two games in particular really stand out to me. And, I mean, just in general, it, there's nothing better than rivalry football. You know, the heightened competitiveness, whether, you know, you come out on top or on the losing side. You gotta have respect. I mean, I think that's the game in its purest form, right there. When it's, it's rivalry week, you know. High school football is pretty cool, but what we are here to talk about the most is college football, specifically Division three football. Obviously, you're an athlete at John Carroll University. Talk about the differences between a D one recruiting process and a D three recruiting process, and what stood out to you about Division three that you really like. It, it's all about a person's preference, and this is actually I was lucky enough to kind of experience both of them. I mean, not necessarily like you know an Akron school like that, but um, I was looking at Dayton for a long time, which is D one double A, obviously a pretty big school. And it's all about your preference. It, and it, like Dayton ended up being in my top three, but um, what it ended up coming down to for me was I was excited to potentially have the opportunity to play earlier. I, I was being kind of realistic with myself coming out of high school. It's like it's gonna be a long shot for me to be playing after this college stint. So I was like, I might as well make the most of it. In terms of the recruiting process, I think the coaches approached it in a very similar way. I think. If you're a, a D3 coach, the, I mean, the only thing that you have to be a little bit realistic about is, you know, if you have a guy that's obviously going D1, you probably don't want to, uh, you know, allocate too many of your resources recruiting right. that guy. You got to know which guys are potentially going to be falling to that level. And uh, But I think overall the actual recruiting process and the effort that they put into it, I really didn't see that much difference from, you know, a Dayton or a W&J, a John Carroll, a Mount, you know, those type of schools. So. You did choose John Carroll 
And from what I understand, you have a lot of family ties to John Carroll. Talk a little bit about all of your family that has attended John Carroll, whether they played sports or not, and what part that played in your decision to attend the university. Um, it played a huge part, first off, um, 100%. I was because there's so many different people in my family that had incredible experiences there. My aunt went there. My mom and my dad actually both met there. They're both much better athletes than me, <laughs> uh, both two-sport athletes that, uh, at John Carroll, which is insane to even do, have the time to do that. Um, but they actually were both, uh, one was on the men's basketball team, one was on the women's basketball team, so they kind of like pass each other after practice or whatever. <laughs> you know, guys are coming off the court, women's go like going on, getting ready to practice. Uh, that's, so that's actually how they met is there at John Carroll. And uh, they both learned so many valuable life lessons there. Um, my brother also went there. And so what was nice about that is with my brother going there and he also played football there, I wasn't, obviously, you know, I knew a lot about the school from my mom and my dad. Right. But I was really able to get introduced to the football program itself through my brother and uh, meet some of the coaches, meet some of the things that uh, they, they value in that program, you know, their culture. Uh, building things and it, it was I always look back on they were having a, a camp with uh, Jim Harbaugh he was there and they're having a camp and it was supposed to be just for like kids going into their senior years and I was like going into my sophomore year of high school and my brother is somehow able to find a way to like <laughs> sweet talk the coaches into letting me go and man I, I did not stick out very much at that camp but uh, I it's, that was also just so valuable like I said being able to like constantly be able to compete with kids that might be bigger stronger faster than you and just have to like find a way you know but uh all of those I, they all had nothing but good to say about John Carroll the school you know my brother obviously about the football program and I saw the way that he really formed like a brotherhood with all of his teammates it wasn't just like they were teammates and you know they they saw each other every once in a while they were truly like like brothers in that locker room and that was something that really stuck out to me more than uh any other school that I visited so and when you finally decided to commit to John Carroll what would you say, if you could pick one thing, was the key thing that sold you? There was a lot, but um, I think the education, honestly, um, and just the connections that you can build. Um, I mean, first off, the education, you know, it's its no joke there, man. I, it, it takes up a lot of my time, you know, it teaches me time management. You know, we have a lot to do with football, and then you add in a lot of, of difficult courses on top of that. You really got to learn time management really right. quick. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, kind of throw you in the water, you sink or you swim. And uh, some people struggle with it. Um, luckily, I've been able to kind of figure it out. Yeah, that's teaches you time management. and it, The education's great on top of that. But then, oh, yeah, also the connections. That was the other pa piece of it. I mean, you look around. As me wanting to be a coach, you look around the league, you got um, Josh McDaniels, head coach for the Raiders, John Carroll guy. Brandon Staley was actually the defensive coordinator while my brother is there. He's the head coach for the Chargers now. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, those are the two biggest examples. The connections, wanting to be a coach, I mean, they're everywhere. I mean, from Gilmore Academy to St. Ed's, no matter where you look, there's always a connection somewhere out there. And that's also in the business world as well. I mean, it's got one of the best business schools in the country. So the connections I would potentially be able to establish as well as just the education in and of itself, that, I mean, that was a no-brainer for me. On the football side of things, let's go back to when you talked a little bit about the brotherhood that your brother kind of talked to you about. Have you gotten to experience that yet? I know you're a junior, so yes, most likely. But talk a little bit about that brotherhood now that it is a brotherhood that you're a part of. 
Oh, man. No, yeah, it's definitely, it's something special, man. It's something special. I'll shout out one of my teammates, uh, Kiefer Askew. He was um, he was a second team uh, all-conference. I think should have been first team, in my opinion. But, he, I mean, he was a stud. But he was a fifth year coming in, transferring in. And so he's been playing D3 football at uh, other schools and has really got to see other locker rooms and stuff like that. And I was talking to him one day after practice, and he was like, yeah, no, there's no relationships like this anywhere else in the country. Anywhere else I've been, like, people are truly bought into, like, this team, forming relationships and stuff like that. And that's what I love about, I mean, overall the sport, but... I mean, you look at our locker room in particular, there's guys coming from, I mean, all types of walks of life, backgrounds, stuff like that. You know, you got guys that grew up in a gated community. I also got uh, uh, teammates that, um, you know, they didn't know where their next meal was going to be sometimes when they were growing up. And that's such a powerful thing to have all those different walks of life come together in one room and still be able to form like a true, you know, brotherhood. I mean, that's something special. It's priceless, it's something you can't get back. And honestly, I could not play a single down. I know there's guys that will go through four years of playing at John Carroll all that time, all those practices, meetings, lifts, all that stuff, and not play it down strictly because they love the relationships. They love the guys in that locker room, and they wouldn't trade it for the world. That's a pretty cool thing to be a part of. Transitioning from when you graduated high school and started college football, would you say that the transition was difficult to play at the college level from high school? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I remember my first meeting with Jeff Long, our defensive coordinator. He's going to be a big name very soon. But I remember our first meeting with him. We sat down. He welcomed back all the returning players and then looked around the room to all the freshmen. And he was like, you guys better be ready because, you know, this is going to be rigorous. You might have been uh, all-conference, you know, all-district, all-state player in high school, but so is everybody else that's sitting around you. So, like, <laughs> you know, you, you better be sitting down in the meetings, taking notes, knowing the playbook and stuff like that. So it, it was a huge transition. I think everybody, it, it's a difficult transition because you go from being in high school and, you know, kind of being one of the better players on your team to all of a sudden now there's, you know, 15 Luke Larkins, there's 15 Kiefer Askews on the team, and you got to find a way to set yourself apart with your work ethic. Your willingness to win, I think, uh, is the biggest thing that, that you have to transition because uh, there's so much more work that you have to put in, and it, it tests you a lot mentally and physically. And so you, you really have to have a strong will to make it through a season, a career, all of that. What would you say that you did personally to set yourself apart from the group? I think just the willingness to do the dirty work is always what I kind of tried to do. This year in particular, we I knew that I had hopes to start the season at, at corner, and it, it didn't end up working like that. I could tell that I had a couple of guys in front of me. Like I said, Kiefer uh, transferred in. He's a great talent. Justin Renner uh, switched over from wide receiver to defensive back. He's a great talent. Dante Williams, Elijah Chungu. I mean, there's four corners right there. They're outstanding. There's guys below me, too, though. Uh, Sonny's great. But so I was looking around. I was like, there's a lot of talent in this corner room. It's going to be tough to get a lot of playing time at that position. So I decided I'm just going to really focus on special teams and really try and make my mark that way. Because I knew, you know, that for a lot of guys, that's a play off or like a play they can kind of relax on. So I knew if I step onto the field and approach that as like 
this is where I make my money on this snap right here. It, that alone might be able to be something that can set me apart. And that's, I mean, one of my first couple of days there, I, I walked into the head coach's office and I was like, hey, like, by the way, I'm pretty, I have a knack for like being able to block kicks, block punts and stuff like that. And so sure enough, the next day they had a period <laughs> where instead of normally just doing like the normal kickoff, like the field goal period, right. they had me sitting there trying to block every single one <laughs> over and over again. It's like, here's your shot, kid. You better, you better take it. You better get one of these kicks. So yeah, that's, I, I think being like being willing to do that kind of dirty work, put the team ahead of yourself. That's, that's where you set yourself apart. Guys are, will go into meetings in sit in the front row with no hat, no hood on, you know, good posture, don't have their arms crossed, they're attentive, asking questions, stuff like that. And like I said, there there's so many great athletes in that locker room. You have to set yourself apart by doing the little things like that. Kind of brings me into my next topic, which is what would you say a day in the life, especially a game day for a John Carroll football player is like? I've asked all the other interviews this question. I'm interested to see the difference in each answer. So a game day in particular, it, it will depend on if we're uh, on on the road or at home but I mean overall same concept you know we'll have a, a early walk through or like in the morning early in the morning um, for us we're Jesuit University so I think that's one thing that might be different from the uh, other guys that have answered this so like when we're at home we'll go to an actual uh, mass we'll do a mass before and then you know go to the locker room yeah, we'll have breakfast and then go to the locker room. It's nice to have that meal as a team, though, that breakfast, that Absolutely. team meal before. There's not much talking going on, but it's nice to just, like, be with your guys one more time before. But uh, head over to the stadium, uh, go through whatever your routine's got to be. They usually give us, like, two hours before we're actually taking the field to – you know, quarterbacks, wide receivers, they go out there. Some of them run routes. And, I mean, it's all about what your pregame routine is. Me, I prefer to kind of just stretch. Um, every once in a while, I'll even, like, get a very light, like, lift in just to start activating my muscles and stuff like that. But And then you go through, obviously, every normal pregame warm-ups and then kickoffs at around 1 o'clock. So I'm sure it's probably pretty similar to, to what the other guys have answered. On the road, we'll – you're in a hotel most of the time, right. so you wake up in the hotel. We'll either have breakfast at the hotel or go someplace else, breakfast. Same routine, though. As a defensive back, what do you and your teammates, your position mates, do with your position coaches before a game to get ready? Um, We'll actually we'll go through and we'll have a lot of their, their top routes on key downs already in our mind. We'll just kind of go through them one more time, and you'll actually see us on the field before the game. We'll have a couple of coaches, uh, even a couple of players will tag in, and they'll just – anybody that could potentially play on that Saturday at defensive back, we'll just go through routes from the slot, from the split, um, cut, split, bunt, and just go through all of their, their top routes, the other team's top routes, just see those one more time. And then, I mean, that's before even our whole pregame warm-up. That's just, you know, you know, you don't have your jersey on or anything like that. And then once we actually get out onto the field for pregame warm-ups, we'll go through a little session that we call, like, EDDs. And that's basically just, like, minimizing every single break that you could possibly make during the game. We'll just kind of go through it, whether it's, you know, you're at the line and you're moving side to side, shuffling side to side, or uh, you're pressed up and you have to run sideways with them, going through all those breaks, you know, transitioning straight back, transitioning diagonally forward, all those things. We'll go through all those transitions and have a ball thrown to us, so we'll work on our hands as well in case the ball comes our way. 
And I mean, that's the main thing right there is just going through all those breaks and getting our footwork right and make sure our hips are low and all that little fine tuning stuff. I mean, really, there shouldn't be much changing at that right. point, but um, just making sure that all the fine tuning small things are, are right. This fall, your record at John Kerr was eight and two, which is a fantastic record. What would you say are some of your biggest takeaways from this season? I don't know. I really think that we were being a bit overlooked this season. And I, I, so I'm very proud of, of what we did. I, I, I wish we would have been able to make the playoffs, obviously, the competitor in me. But, I mean, the biggest takeaway, we had so many young guys or guys that were stepping up and playing big minutes for the first time. Obviously, um, interim head coach. I mean, just a lot of things that it would have been easy for us to say, like, cards are stacked against us. You know, we're, we're going to give our all, but, you know, who knows? We might win, we might not. So I think it was impressive for all of us to really come together as a group. And, you know, by the end of the season, we we're kind of saying, like, it's a five-star matchup because we're in it. You know, no matter who it is that we're playing, it might be an inferior right. opponent, but we always believed it was a five-star matchup, must-see TV because we were in it. And I think I'm just so proud of all the other guys that were able to, to buy into that, and me and, and uh, all the teammates. I think a lot of my other teammates really led the charge in that. And so I, I think that was the main takeaways. I'm so proud of our guys being able to, to come together. I think we really rallied behind Coach Nystrom, our interim head coach. I, I was just so proud of that aspect of things this season. What is it like during the transition of an interim head coach? How does it feel as a player in the locker room? It's definitely, I mean, it's weird. There's, at first, you know, like dating back to last spring, there's a little bit of like just uncertainty, you know, kind of like the uh, the fear of the unknown a little bit. We weren't sure how much is going to change, how much is going to stay the same. But, I mean, once you get a couple of weeks into it, we didn't look at him as an interim head coach. We knew that this is our guy for this season, and that's all we have is this season, you know, this next practice, this next game, whatever it might be, that's all we have. And he's our head coach for that. So I think we we didn't really treat him any differently than we did Coach Fanati, um, the guy before. I mean, we, we all just looked at him as a head coach, and, Part uh, I think some of us even really rallied behind him a little bit. And really, I know like the offensive line, uh, he's worked closely with the past couple of years. So they were really excited for him to get this opportunity and really wanted to like rally behind him and put him on a pedestal. And, and I mean, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen from here. But that's where I would say really, that's the only time it was weird is last spring when we were first getting introduced to it. And then right now there's still like a little bit of uncertainty. Um, but during the season, I mean, we just treated it like this guy's our head coach and let's go and I think he did a great job uh because uh, I mean that's a difficult position to kind of get thrust into you know one day you're just the offensive coordinator offensive line coach next thing you know you're running a whole program you right. gotta worry about funds recruiting all that you have so much more on your plate than you did originally Absolutely. um but I think he did such an incredible job um of managing all of those things and that was also something that really uh inspired me and drove me because I think it would have been very easy for the program to kind of fall into disarray, but he did a great job taking charge and making sure that uh, everything kind of stayed at least somewhat similar. Um, he definitely did some things his own way, but making sure that we still uh, had that same culture that we did before. So During a head coaching transition, obviously at the Division One level, that tends to mean a lot of players are going to transfer. But at the Division Three level, it doesn't always seem to be the case because like you alluded to, the culture makes a difference and people are more comfortable in the school that they're at because their goals might be different. 
Would you say that that's correct, that the transfer portal thing is not as big of a deal when there's a head coaching transition at the D3 level? I think it all depends on the guy. Um, you know, so I don't want to speak for any of my teammates or anything like that. I think it really just all depends on the person. I know for, for me personally, I'm content and happy with where I'm at. I don't feel the need to get introduced to a completely new program. I think that would just introduce more uncertainty to me than there already is currently. Um, you know, I can see other guys that potentially might want to uh, look at other options potentially. I know some guys were really supportive and really like Nystrom. They could potentially decide that if, if he doesn't get the head coaching job, that they might want to leave. But I mean, like I said, I, you know, I, I'm not going to speak for other guys. I don't know what, what the future holds with those guys. I just know for me personally, it doesn't, it doesn't change much. We've also had guys kind of transfer in. So there is definitely a, a, a small factor, but I don't know necessarily. I mean, D1, it's like, I mean, rosters are getting gutted right now right. Uh, but with coaching changes and things of that nature. So I don't think it's necessarily to that extent. You never know. I, I'm sure there might be a couple guys that will, you know, dip their toe in the water and see what other opportunities they have elsewhere. And I, I don't blame them. If that's what they want to do, if that's what they feel betters their life the most, then, I mean, I'm happy for them. I'm supportive of them. I mean, we're still brothers in my eyes, so Absolutely. I'm happy for them. I'm excited for them. What would you say so far your favorite memory at John Carroll is as a part of the football program? Um, That's tough. I really... I mean, there's too many to to name, but I think, you know, obviously beating BW both times was a lot of fun. Anytime that you're playing for a trophy, obviously it means more. So uh, those were always fun. Those two games have been fun. But I would would say just the times I've been able to spend with my teammates off the field and continue to grow those relationships, continue to get to uh, know guys better and stuff like that, I mean, those guys are just a blast. I mean, we have so many funny guys in the locker room and guys that just uh, mesh together so well. And, I mean, you, you can't walk into a locker room and, and not laugh. There's always something going on that will make you laugh, put a smile on your face. You know, it doesn't matter how bad of a day you're having. Uh, I would always smile and laugh at least one time at football practice or before or after or whatever it might be. But I think those are my, are my favorite times is off the field, believe it or not, with those guys because they're just such a, a great, genuine group of guys I have as teammates. So I'm, I'm blessed definitely to have those guys around me. Overall, during your time as an athlete, who would you say has pushed you to be the best athlete you can be? Man, there's so many answers. Who's pushed me the most? I don't know. I think definitely looking back, I would say Richard Graves, who I already named. Also, I think uh, uh, Chad Palmer. I got to shout out him as well. Um, both those two guys, they were both uh, two of my high school coaches. And I say that uh, simply in the sense that it didn't matter what I did. It was always like, well, you could have done it better, you know. And it, it, I, there's plenty of times I got frustrated with those two people because, like, it, there wasn't – very many compliments but there was also a lot of times and in that point in my life that like I would get too big-headed I needed to like get a little more humble and realize that excellence is a constant pursuit Uh, you know it didn't matter if I made a big play or something uh you know I'd come to the sideline and and, uh Rich Graves would tell me oh I could have made a bigger player you know I would have taken that interception to the house for six (laughs) or something like that you know coach Palmer you know I could have two tackles on drive I'd come to the sideline he'd be like why are you not driving them back 
back, why you're just tackling them, that you should be driving them back. So I think those two in particular, just because of the way they coached me tough. Also, Coach Shum, John Shum, uh, he's a great coach. He was also very, you know, pushed me to be my best, didn't ever let me just get comfortable where I was. So I got to thank those three in particular, but there's so many coaches that that coached me tough, especially when I needed it. Coach Hunter, um, he's a tough coach, and there's plenty of times that me and him got into it, but I still have the utmost respect for him because, like I said, he's constantly pushing me. and so I, I respect coaches that, that do that for me. I've had a lot throughout my career, too many to name. Um, I, honestly, I just have an appreciation for all of my coaches. Plenty of my teammates did the same, uh, didn't let me get comfortable. You know, there'd be certain times at practice. Uh, this year, Jarvis Crawford, he'd always, you know, try and get under my skin at practice and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, it might bring me up a notch if I was flat. Um, so, I mean, teammates, coaches, there's been so many that it's tough to, I mean, there's a couple, but it's tough to name all of them. And before we close out, Luke, what would you say to any high school athlete who is currently looking into playing at the Division three level, especially because you said you wanted to be a coach? This is a good perspective to get from you. Really, before you even approach the recruiting process um, and start looking at schools individually, I would say go into the process with an idea of this is what I'm looking for. And I would first base it off of like from a school standpoint, you know, this is what I want to do in school. I want to find a school that has a good program for this or I want to go to a school that's near a city. Like me in particular, I want to go to a school that was near a city. Uh, or you could be a, somebody on the opposite that wants to be somewhere in a discreet area, just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. You know, So find what you like, what you don't like, big school, small school. Um, kind of just before you even go into the process, start weighing those things out. And then as you're going through that recruiting process, you can kind of start checking off schools. They, you know, they fit this criteria, this criteria, stuff like that. So I would say go into it with like the, a, a set of things that you value the most in the school. And then from there, I then look at it from the football side of things. I think you have to, when you're talking to coaches, you really have to find the coaches that you think can, can push you and motivate you the most, can uh, shape you the most as a man to continue to grow on and off the field. Because, I mean, if you don't like your coaches as a person or you don't think that they're going to be able to coach you tough enough or, you know, find that balance, your time on the field is going to be miserable. But I would say even more importantly, because some people, they show up. And like I said, the workload's tough and it tests a lot of people. A lot of guys, they'll do one year of it and just realize, hey, like, this isn't for me. You know, I don't love this sport enough to be putting this much on my plate, take this much time away from my school. So there's a lot of guys that end up just doing school at the school they recruited to play at. So I would say really focus on the school side of things first. I know that's like a cliche, but like I said, not just like the school, like have the things that you want to see in a school going into it. Because you never know. I mean, you could have an injury. You could blow out your knee and be done. Um, you never know what's going to happen. But there's a lot of things that, that could happen that could potentially end up just being a student. So I think really go into it with that kind of approach. Focus on the school aspect of things first. But then also don't forget about, you know, also I would do visits, seeing the campus on person uh, or in person and being able to meet some of the players as well. That's one thing that I kind of did. See how the players relate to each other and stuff like that. Can you tell it's a bunch of individuals or is it a team? Things of those nature. But I, that's kind of the approach that I took, and I think it worked out well for me. But I, I So I would definitely recommend that to, to other people that are going into the process. But also I would – 
one thing that I think I almost got caught up in was, especially when, like, Dayton was recruiting me, um, it's, like, it, the whole idea of, like, going D3, and there's such a, a negative connotation to it, or, like, more, I would say, a positive connotation to, like, oh, he's going D1 or something like that. So, right. you know, I, I wouldn't get caught up in all of that and what other people think. At the end of the, the day, I mean, this is you and your decision. You're going to be spending a lot of money to go to this school. So make the decision that, that fits you the best, and don't worry about all the outside noise. I mean, as long as you're happy, it really doesn't matter. So uh, that those are the things I, I would get, say to all the, the future athletes. So Last question I have for you, Luke. During your time at Kent Roosevelt, we both took a class. It's called sports <laughs> management. Hey, I knew you were going to bring this up, man. <laughs> Talk about what that class did for you or what we didn't do in that class, I should say. And... Maybe talk a little bit about the teacher who I know is going to listen. Dunn, man, Dunn <laughs> is the best. I know. I hope Dunn's listening to this, man. Shout out to uh, Ben Dunlap. He's the best. He's the current AD at uh, Kent now. I'm happy for him. He got that promotion. From what I hear, he's loving it. So uh, I'm happy for him. Wishing no- nothing but the best in the future. But man, yeah, no, that was an awesome, awesome class. Uh, <laughs> you know, we got introduced to uh, a lot of different aspects of like sports management. I learned about sports as a whole and like a completely different angle I never like thought of before Mrs. Kuva is also great you know she handled more like the business side of things obviously me being an athlete I was a little more interested in the sports management side of things what Dunn had going on over there but one quick shout out that I would like to give I would like to shout out Logan um, (laughs) because in Dunn's class this is this is 2020 by the way this is 2020 (laughs) at the beginning I don't know how many uh, NBA fans will have watching this or listening to this Um, but the beginning of the 2020 season uh, we, we talked a lot of ball in Dunn's class you know a lot of barbershop talk, just kind of back and forth. And Logan came in with a prediction at the beginning of the season. This is like before the All-Star break, right? It's super early in the season. He said the Miami Heat, did you say they're going to make the finals? Or so they were going to make it. They, they were going to make the NBA finals. And I was sitting in the back of room, and I gave you so much crap for that. Until, until school Everybody got shut did. down. I, I mean, I was giving you so much crap for that. I thought he was ridiculous. I was, thank God I didn't. I was getting ready to put the house on. There's no way that he'd make the, the finals. And sure enough, you know, a, a, a pandemic later and a bubble later, sure enough, the, the Miami Heat end up making it to the finals. I don't think we've talked about that since it happened. Uh, I know you've talked about it on, on these airways before giving a quick shout out to it. Um, but yes, that's something that happened in that class. So uh, I'd like to give you your due, due diligence for that prediction. That was, that was incredible. I've never seen anything like it since. But I greatly appreciate it, Luke. I get made fun of a lot up here for being a Miami Heat fan. I remember the exact text message that I received. Nobody could see anybody. Nobody could talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. It was a text message that said, all right, which of us is going to apologize first? Yeah. <laughs> and I laughed so hard. It was you, it was Trey Mox, it was Jordan, it was Ethan. Everybody was uh-huh. laughing at me for that prediction. Man. And I was right. Yeah. And hey, I'll be was... right again this year when the Heat and the Kings are in the NBA Finals. Oh, Logan. Logan, man. Hey, look, you were doing so well. <laughs> that shout-out I just gave you, you're doing so well. Uh, everybody, make sure you write that down right now. Uh, we'll see how this one ages. Hey, last time I doubted you, I ended up uh, eating my words. Uh, but I don't know. This, this Miami Heat team doesn't look like the same one in 2020. But we'll see. Hey, we'll see. We will see. Luke, thank you so much for joining me here today hey absolutely always a pleasure man always a pleasure talking to you 
And Sports Power Talk fans, make sure you tune into our show every Sunday from 11 to 1. And tune into our podcast, SPT Overtime, every Monday for a new show. You won't want to miss out. Once again, thank you to all of our athletes for joining me here today. And we will see you next time.